Welcoming to Home Field Advantage. My name is Will Highland and I am your host. Hope you're having a great week wherever you may be and however you may be listening across our great nation or our great land. It's been a hell of a week to be a sports fan here in New England. We're going to ignore the Red Sox for a moment and spend the entire podcast talking about Brady, Belichick, the Patriots, the history, what went wrong, what went right, and what we can expect for the future. And to do that, we're welcoming back into the program Cam Kiesa. He was the host of the Sports Guys with me at Colby Sawyer College in 2015 and 2016. He'll be joining us in just a few minutes to talk all things Brady and Belichick in New England. And if you have Brady fatigue, I understand, but there's no doubt this is the best and most relevant topic in sports. So I hope you will all bear with me for this episode and dive in and divulge and just have event session, which is really what this ended up being. So it was a lot of fun to have Cam back on the show. I hope you learn a lot. Hope you take something away. I hope you give some of your own thoughts so we can learn from you as well. It was a great time, and there's just been so much content to talk about with all of this in the past you know, few weeks, few months, few years, really. And uh, no better time to do it than leading up to Sunday's game. Just a few brief uh, housekeeping that we'll do right now before we start so that we don't do it at the end. Um you can follow us on Instagram at homefieldpod and catch the morning advantage, which happens every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 7 a.m. It's also available for playback on Instagram TV throughout the day and on our page at homefieldpod. You can also follow us on Twitter at homefieldpod and at Sportland USA. And we'll be doing a Facebook Live show on Sunday night at 7 or 7:30 to be determined to stay tuned leading up to the big game as well. So definitely uh, keep your eyes on us. And then also, if you're in the mood to listen to some other podcasts, I definitely recommend The Main Stand with our guys over uh, in Southern Maine talking soccer. They're awesome as well. Also, the Sub 500 podcast with Jackson Winslow, mainly Celtics with Emery Dinsmore and Matt Smith. And, of course, Turn Up the Jets with Joe Skirto. All of those guys do tremendous work, and I definitely recommend them. But now we will turn our attention to our sit-down discussion with Cam Chiesa to talk all things Brady, Belichick, and the Pats. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Big Cam Chiesa. All right, and as I said in the intro, we'd like to welcome back into the program a good friend of the show, Cam Kiesa, my former co-host from the Sports Guys at Colby Store College. Cam, how's it going tonight? Well, hey, it's going great, man. It's great to be on the show. I'm looking forward to our topics today. Awesome, yeah, and I mean, unless you've been living under a rock, like I doubt any of our listeners have. I doubt you have. I know I haven't. We all know what's on tap this week. There's really no other story in sports. I mean, really, only Brady's return to Foxborough can outshine the AL wildcard race and the Red Sox. And only, you know, and that whole thing, like, if 
they're lucky because otherwise we'd Which be wrote... a huge story by itself. Yeah. I mean, we, that's a whole different topic. That's yeah. a whole different situation, you know. But you're right. They're off the hook right now for Tom <laughs> coming back, so. Yeah, so in any other sports world, in any other world, we'd be, you know, kind of worrying about the X's and O's of, like, what the Patriots can do to win this game. Uh, what 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 can we do? You know, what's the season going to look like? You know, we wouldn't we would care about what the Buccaneers and Tom Brady were doing, but now now this is the cream of the crop, and you know this has been circled on our calendar since we knew Tom was going uh, to Tampa. So I actually want to lead off with a question, and so I mentioned in the I mentioned in the intro and in your brief intro here that you were my co-host at the Sports Guys for uh, a year and a half. In 2015-16, you said back then, and I'll try and find the audio, but I found some transcripts. Uh, You said back then that the debate between Brady and Jordan at the time, and this was fall 2015, was not a debate worth having because the sports were too different. Do you still believe that? Well, it's always fun to be reminded of old sound bites. Well, you know, since that... Since that quote for me, we've had 20 to 3. We've had 2018. We've had first year in Tampa. So I think it's a fair conversation now. I mean, you could really argue that Tom Brady is the most successful athlete in team sports in history. It's it's a fair conversation. I think it's you have to put him and Michael as the top two. But I definitely think it's a conversation now. I wouldn't have that conversation when he had four rings but with seven good chance to get eight you know it's definitely a conversation i'm not ready to go one way or another at this point but it's definitely there yeah and of course bill russell's in that conversation too right wayne gretzky's in that conversation of team sport athletes i'm always Um, a big guy will of the eras though and no disrespect to bill russell who's you know a pioneer for the celtics and for the nba but you look at you know who who Russell played against besides Chamberlain. I mean, he really, he really didn't face many guys, his caliber, you know, Gretzky's got a case for it as well, but I guess just my own personal bias. I just go with more of the shooting guard versus the quarterback. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and also your errors is right. Even when you talk about quarterbacks, right? So I think a lot of people, I mean, back when we were talking about this, there was still a window where you could argue Montana, uh, there was still oh, yeah. a window where you could argue Bradshaw, um, although Bradshaw played in an era where the quarterback was really sort of irrelevant. Um, yeah. Same with Roger Staubach and a lot of Bart Starr and a lot of those guys in the 60s I mean, and 70s. they didn't 70s. throw well. They really didn't throw back then. They ran the ball and played defense. I mean, yeah. the quarterback was not the show at that time. Yeah, I always like, and I'm, I'm going to sound like Colin Cowherd here with some of these huge, <laughs> stupid analogies, but... I always compare quarterbacks to presidents. Like there was a time in our country's history where the president was sort of irrelevant, uh, except when you were in war. So like Abraham Lincoln was obviously important because we were in a war, in a civil war for that matter. Um, obviously Woodrow Wilson was important because we were in World War One. But it was really not until FDR that the president had this like persona and TV, really TV and radio brought that out too, like where the president became like the figurehead of the country and whatnot. Um, So I always say that's the same thing about quarterbacks, like really until the 80s, obviously neither one of us were alive then, but it was really the Marino, uh, Montana sort of Aikman at the tail end of that 
you know, Steve Young, like those kind of guys that really opened that up. Aikman to a degree, I believe Aikman was early 90s, I believe. Yeah. You know, guys like that, yeah. I think you nailed that, I mean. Elway too. It was, yeah. it was really the era of the running back, you know, in the early NFL days. I mean, you look at Bradshaw, I mean, look at that Pittsburgh defense. I mean, it was really the Pittsburgh defense that won those four championships for them when he was with the team. Yeah. So it definitely did change. I mean, Montana and obviously um, Coach Walsh was really a big proponent of his success, I believe, and just the whole overall shift in offensive philosophy during the 80s and obviously carried to the 90s and where we are today, which is definitely opened up quite a bit. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, I think in where we can really start with this, you know, you mentioned the offensive opening up and the way the games change. Do you think, and you know, and obviously a lot of this podcast as the title, you know, says is going to be all about the Brady era with the Patriots and whatnot. But, you know, you look at where Brady is now as a quarterback at age 44, he's in an air it out offense, essentially. I mean, not necessarily air, complete air raid, but I mean, they're a pass happy team. And you see when they get into troubles, when they forget to run the ball. I mean, I know a lot of people have made that point this week, that Tampa and the New England back in, you know, the recent past few years, they would get into trouble. Because if you look at the middle of Bray's career, and we'll be talking about a lot of the end of his career in New England, but the, be- the beginning was great because you were winning that old way that you mentioned. Three out of four. Yeah. yeah, you have the three out of four. You were winning that old way where Tom Brady sort of was a system QB and he was a game manager, and that's fine because at the end of the day, he would, he would be able to execute a two-minute drill and win you the game, which is what you need a game manager to do. Absolutely. Uh, But then the middle of his career, the Patriots became a spread it out offense, an air attack, and they didn't win. And it wasn't really until they went back to sort of that complementary aspect where Brady could really excel. And they were a play action team. They were were still a throwing team. You had tight ends. It was really until the emergence of Gronk that the Patriots set aside sort of the Randy Moss, Wes Walker team and sort of moved into the Gronk, Edelman, Amendola, Chris Hogan James White, third down running back. And you look at what Tampa is now, and they're doing that exact offense again. You know, they have the downfield threat. They have the slot receivers. They have the tight end, and they have the third down running back. So do you think Brady... Do you think Brady's career has benefited from all those changes and him not being one kind of quarterback his whole career? Well, that's a great way to look at it, Will. I mean, you look at, you know... Just to harp on what you said, the beginning of his career, he was a game manager. He had a great defense. You know, people always people argue the Brady Belichick deal, which we'll get into later. Um, people credit Belichick a lot at the beginning of his championships. Um, I thought Tom really compensated for a lack of skill position, really after the Moss Welker era, for really a long time towards his prime, towards the end of his prime, or at least so we thought at the time. The thing about Tom that I think helped his longevity, besides obviously his physical training, is that his ability to be flexible and just like change his style, like you said. Because in the years where he were throwing 35, 40 times a game, yeah, his numbers were awesome, but they really weren't winning. I mean, obviously 16-0-07, lost the big game, but you think back, there was some blunders. I remember the Ravens game in 09, the wildcard game. There was a lot of inexcusable losses in the playoffs, just... And then, you know, you talk about Gronkowski. When Gronkowski came into the league and really became that safety blanket for Tom, I think that really changed everything. 
I've always said this. I think Tom today is a better quarterback than he was really the middle part of his career, I think. I don't know if that's too outlandish to say, but in terms of just where he's at now. Yeah, so I, I sort of agree. I think there was a change in Bray's career that happened in... I mean, we're going to revisit Tom Brady's entire tenure, and this is actually a great place to start. Because, like, obviously everyone knows the story. They know the three Super Bowls in his first four seasons. They know about the stout defense. But really, the change happened uh, after uh, 2006 season. That was when Eric Mangini stopped being the defensive coordinator of the Patriots, and that was when McDaniels kind of started rising, and they started moving away from that old Belichickian system toward more of an offensive system. And in 2006, Brady, there was a game, and Felger and Maz actually talked about it today, but I had planned on bringing it up too, is there was a game in 2006 where they went on the road to Minnesota. I was really young at the time, and Brady had thrown through for more yards in that game than I think he ever did in a game before that day. And I think from 06 to like 2012, they were like this weird sort of like they didn't know what they wanted to be, you know. They were, wide receivers. You yeah, know, they were throwing thirty-five times a game. They had guys like Gaffney in there. Really, no running game to speak of. You're right. Yeah, because so, if you if you think about the yeah. running backs in that time period that the Patriots had, I mean, they've never really had a Pro Bowl caliber running back ever. Not even close. In Brady's entire career, I don't think they ever had a Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl caliber running back. Corey Dillon, maybe? Yeah, and that, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say from, like, 04 to, like, 07 or 06 or 08, maybe you had Corey Dillon in those years. And then after that, you had, like, Ben Jarvis, Green Ellis, and Steven Ridley. And it was sort of like Bray no, really yeah. became the passer that he is in, like, between, obviously, 07, 06, and then to 2012. And then it was really in 2013 after, obviously, Hernandez got in trouble with the law you had Gronk was hurt. You had uh, Wes Welker went to Denver. And then you had the emergence of Edelman. And I think Edelman gets compared to Wes Welker way too much. I think actually Danny Amendola was better than Wes Welker. Had a better Pats career than Wes Welker. Because he actually won Super Bowls with us. Well, he had big catches, Will. Yeah. And he caught Super Bowl touchdowns. I mean, he was big in the playoffs. Yeah, and Wes Welker didn't do that. Wes, Wes couldn't be on a field towards the end of his career. Yeah. You know, I love Wes Welker. He was awesome for the Pats, but... I always remember Wes Welker's. He had that big Super Bowl drop. That's yeah. what I remember him for. So, I mean, Amendola made big plays. And I think it's actually an insult to Edelman to be compared to Welker. I think Edelman's head and shoulders above Welker. I, I agree. I agree. I mean, they, yeah. they're, they're both very similar. And Wes Welker, he might have had better numbers, like, between 07 and 2012 when he was here. Like, they were throwing more. They were yeah. throwing way more. But that's yeah. exactly what I was going to say. They were a different yeah. offense. Um, and, like, Gronk wasn't around. You know, you know, and so, and and actually this leads me to my other thing that I wanted to bring up is that if we look, if we revisit Brady's tenure here, uh, he only won, I believe one, no, two out of the three Super Bowls was Edelman and uh, Gronk on the field together. That one, people forget that the 28 to three Super Bowl was, there was no Gronk in that game. And no, people also forget that the Super Bowl they lost to Philly. There was no Edelman in that game, and Brady was the MVP that year with no Edelman, and they had Brandon Cooks, who I liked Brandon Cooks, but and will they should have won that game? They yeah. scored, 
33 points. I mean, they should have won. It's a whole different story. Oh, well, we, we, we will visit that subject in the very near that future. But that's what I mean about, like, the, the cast of characters around Brady in his Patriots tenure was ever-changing. It was dynamic. And I think what a lot of people gloss over is that toward the end here, the, in, like, 2018-2019, the Patriots had opportunities to keep their train rolling. And they did a good job of trying, but they all they swung and missed. Because if you think about it, they let Amendola walk, right, after the Super Bowl against the Eagles, where he was literally, Brandon Cooks got hurt earlier in that, early in that game. Amendola was all you had, all right? And so they let Amendola walk, and then they didn't really replace him. And then they went up, they had Josh Gordon and Antonio Brown toward the end, and they Philip Dorsett, who really was never a factor. He maybe had two clutch catches his entire career as a Patriot. And that was really it. Like, they I they mean, swung and missed at the end. Like, Jacoby Myers. I, who was good like now, that. but he was he's good now that he's in year four or whatever. But, but not in year one. Yeah. You know, I just, you know, I know we're getting to this, but... Just the overall, I mean, Bill Belichick's a Hall of Famer. I think he's the greatest football coach of all time. I'm not trying to discredit him, but he gets a pass on a lot of things. And it's not only his inability to draft or sign the correct wide receivers, but it's also just the, I almost want to say the arrogance to believe he didn't need to get Tom the receivers, particularly towards the end. I mean, yeah. if you watch those games from 2019, there was no separation. Tom had nobody really to throw to, and it showed. I mean, we went 8-0 against the soft schedule, and when the games mattered, it didn't work out. Yeah, I mean, the three division winners that year outside the Patriots were Kansas City, Houston, and, um, and uh, oh, God, and Baltimore. And you lost to all three of, the, all three of them in a five-week period. Yeah. And then you lost to Miami at home. So to, in a, in a game you had to win, but I, I think I think if you, we start if we start in 2019 and then we go and then we rewind and work our way back to that moment, I think we'll learn a lot. And I think that's sort of where I really want to get this sort of soap opera like conversation started. Is do you think the Pats could have won with Brady after 2019 if they kept him back? Because like last year with Newton was a it was an experiment, and it was just never worked. But do you think if they brought him back, they would even be good? Because, like, right now, they're bad. Well, I, I think... Uh, it's hard to say. They would not. They were not going to be Super Bowl contenders with Tom there. That had already run its course. And Bill, has, Bill, I think, with his decision-making and his attitude, he was done. I think he was done with that era for whatever reason, and we'll get into many of the other reasons that I believe are the case, but I don't think they would have been a contender if they brought Tom back. And that's really? Like, I think it's more of off-the-field stuff because there was a lot of off-the-field stuff with yeah. with Bill and Tom by that time that they think their partnership was over. It wasn't going to work anymore, no matter who you brought in there. So you don't think there was any way to like salvage the dynasty after 2019? Well, I think there's a lot of decisions that led up to before we even got to 2019, really. Well, yeah, I mean, that's where we're yeah. going. But, but now that we... Of, in terms of, no, because Edelman was on his last legs, and obviously he's done. The defense was old. People were retiring. Um, receiving core was very below par. You know, after Gronk, 
after Gronk retired, there really was an NFL starting tight end caliber starting tight end on the roster. And the yeah. running and the Sony Michelle experience was just painful. So what was what was Tom gonna do? I mean, I think look at Tom with Tampa. Has he ever had a better supporting cast no. than he has with Tampa? I and I was thinking about this. Look at him. Look at him now. I was thinking about this on my way home. If so, the best receiver on the Patriots right now is probably Myers. I think he's I think oh, he's good. Yeah. And I think Kendrick Bourne's good. I think Nelson Aguilar's okay. But like, if you I took. If, yeah, they overpay for him, but he's still not awful. He's not... I agree. He's yeah. better than Nikhil Harry, right? But you oh, you bring in... Maybe, actually. I don't know that for sure. Uh, you bring... But anyway, you bring in... You know, if you took Jacoby Myers and moved him to Tampa Bay, would he... Where would he be on the depth chart? He wouldn't make the team. I Well, I think... I, I think I agree with you because... Is he better than, is he better than Scotty Miller? I don't think so. I think they're, they're about the same. I think they're about the same. And he's, and I, I think Miller's faster, right? I mean, yeah, Miller's one of the fastest people in the NFL. I think only oh, Tyreek. I think only Tyreek is faster than him as a receiver, in my opinion. Uh, maybe Cordero Patterson, but uh, yeah. But I, 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 I think I agree with you because, like Chris Evans. I'm uh, sorry, Chris Evans is an actor. Chris Godwin, <laughs> Mike Evans. Uh, yeah, no Captain America on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> Uh, so you got Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, obviously your Pro Bowl caliber receivers. All right, then you have AB. A- All right, like I know he's I not mean, 2014 AB. But Tom get along so well. I mean, it's perfect. Yeah, it and he, he's yeah, for them. he's not seven years ago AB, but he's still like a Pro Bowl caliber receiver if he wants to be. Can keep his face sure. out of trouble. Um, put his phone away and just be an NFL receiver. I think he'd be fine. Um, I mean, he's still a, he's still a, obviously a starting caliber receiver right now, even after everything. Yeah. You know? So so those are the three, and then you get down to like Miller, or Tyler well, Johnson, I, and that's really they're all sort of better than anyone the Patriots have. So I agree. I think like he's never had a better supporting cast. Obviously Gronk, OJ Howard, and Cameron Bray, all three of those guys would start any on any team in the. In the NFL, except maybe the 49ers with Kittle, and uh, you know maybe the um, the Chiefs with Kelsey. And that's about I agree. it. But those are the two. I yeah, mean, that yeah. I mean, I like Noah Fant, but he's not there yet in Denver. So, no. so that roster. So just the roster standpoint, I agree that they probably couldn't have had the the sustained success that they were used to if he had come back. Um, but I still think they would have been better than they were with Cam Newton. I mean, I, even even if old Tom Brady with no receivers got you twelve and four in two thousand nineteen. It's true. I mean, look, I'm not here to crap on Cam, but I mean, it was clear by that point he couldn't throw anymore. I mean, it was, yeah, yeah. I'm not breaking any breaking news with that. I mean, he was well beyond being anywhere close to a starting caliber quarterback, and this is what. I'll go quickly on this, but this is one of the things I have a problem with Belichick. He was just so stubborn about it. Started to cam through all of it, through all of the bad. Never got to look at anybody else. I think that's just that builds in a part of where where Bill is at at this point too. Yeah, you know, I think I think these issues are intertwined. Will Tom's leaving and then Bill's real change in level of arrogance and attitude. I want to say, you know. Yeah. Is that fair? I mean, well, I think it is. I mean, if you start, we started as a baseline, right? Like, this is the baseline. The baseline is that, 
we have an agreement that we don't think the Patriots would have been that good in 2019. And so now, I guess, like I said, you really have to go back and you have to start dissecting how we got to that point, right? Like, that's the only way to do it. And I know, and let me start off by saying before we get into this, if you, if our listeners, if you're tired of the Brady Belichick drama, this isn't the show for you right now. Because we're, <laughs> because I, I think, and I told my listeners on my Instagram show a couple days ago, that, and I'll tell them again tomorrow, that... We're going to be done with the Bradyology and the study of Belichick Brady very soon, probably after this Sunday. But we have to we have to talk about it, right? So it needs a oh, there was there was too much left on the table at the end. Yeah, I, so I, we we need to know. do it. All right. So I guess the number one question I have is when do you think the deterioration of the relationship and you can bring in Mr. Kraft into this too. When you thought this deterioration began, like when did it begin? Well, for me, and I think a lot of Pats fans will agree, the biggest thing for me is when Belichick decided that he wanted to go forward with Garoppolo. I believe in 2017, he was ready to move on from Brady. He wanted to go with Garoppolo. And for the first time in Belichick's tenure in New England, Mr. Kraft said, no, you can't get rid of Tom. And I think that really upset Bill. And it definitely upset Tom because we all know Tom. Tom's the type of guy, if you tell him he's not your guy or he can't do it, he's going to spend the rest of his time making sure you know that he is the guy. So I think for me, like when I think Bill, for whatever reason, and I'm not him, I can't get into his mind of why, but he wanted to go with Garoppolo. That was his plan. And I think, how can you have a relationship with your starting quarterback after that? Particularly, and this is not a guy out of college, this is... This is Tom Brady. You know, at the time, this is a five-time Super Bowl champion. So the fact that he's getting this disrespect from his coach, I think that was the biggest issue. I don't know where you stand on that, but... Yeah, so you're right. At the time of the trade, and for those listeners who don't obsess over this as much as Cam and I do, I understand, because it, it's, a, <laughs> it's a confusing process. Um, but in 2017, on Halloween 2017, the Patriots traded... Jimmy Garoppolo to the 49ers for a second round pick and there's been a ton of rumors whether it's been in Seth Wickersham reporting or in Jeff Benedict's book or you know through other sources like Adam Schefter or whatnot that Belichick reluctantly had traded uh, Jimmy Garoppolo because he ultimately wanted Garoppolo to succeed Brady far earlier than the 2017 season and I tend to agree with you. I think it started with Garoppolo. But I think if you look at Belichick's comments from the night they drafted Jimmy Garoppolo, he said, we all know Tom's age and contract situation. It's better to be earlier at this position. It's better to move on earlier at this position rather than later at this position or something to the the tune. And normally, a player, I usually side with coaches, right? We're both coaches. You Sometimes a coach will shoot and uh, make a shot across the bow to wake up a player. Um, and the player will respond. And Brady did respond. In 2014, after the first those few rough weeks in Kansas City, uh, he came out and he responded in the Patriots won the Super Bowl that year. So he responded. I tend to agree that that was sort of the beginning. However, I believe that the launching off point was really 
Deflategate. Because oh. if you listen, and there's been a lot of chatter this week about Deflategate uh, as it pertains to Belichick's relationship with Roger Goodell and how Brady might have felt slighted by that. Um, but let's be real. Belichick knew the minute Deflategate started that if this came back to him, his career was over. Because Yeah, he had no more, he had no more way to, after, after Spygate, he had no more leeway to right. mess around. So you're right. right. So Belichick did what was best for him and he he sold him out he and he sold Brady out he said you're gonna have to ask Tom about his the way he wants to you know alter his footballs or whatnot whatever the you know jargon that coach Belichick used and that was really the beginning when you saw Brady go up there in that gray crew neck sweatshirt and that foolish pom-pom hat in front of a press conference and get grilled for 90 minutes or however long it was and you and it was being carried on CNN and I mean this was completely like a slap in the face to Brady. And like, we're not going to spend the next 40 minutes talking about deflate gate. Cause like, it's just useless at this point. You're not changing. It's like the vaccine. You're not changing any minds at this point. Exactly. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> I know. Sorry. I'm going to get, I'm going to get uh censored here, but no, seriously. Uh, Everyone has an opinion on Deflategate, so what? make of that what you want. But we can't ignore how monumental that was in the relationship between... And if you think about what Brady posted on Instagram last week about Bruce Arians always having his back, it's, it's hard not to look at that and read that that was really when it began because M- Mike Shanahan helped Belichick get, and this is actually ties our two situations together, and this is something that I've been harping on forever. Mike Shanahan bailed Belichick out during Spygate. He said, hey, he told in interviews, he said, hey, I wish I had known about Spygate. I probably would have done it myself. And he was one of the only coaches in the league that vocally advocated for Bill Belichick, and they have always been close personal friends. And so the cheating thing was sort of always in the background with Bill because Shanahan did his bidding. Belichick knew that if he got busted again, that he was going to get in trouble. And what did Belichick do to, to repay Shanahan? He traded Jimmy Garoppolo to Shanahan's son for a bag of footballs 10 years later. Never, you know what? I'm sitting here and I never, I've never thought about it that way. That's a great point. Because full circle moment, right? And well, and this is a tangent here that I've gone on myself, but and then what did the Patriots do, in, or what did the Niners do in return after that? They bumped the cost, or they bumped the value of Mac Jones in the draft to make it yes. seem like the Patriots were getting a steal in the meet, and so everyone in the media thought the Patriots were getting a steal. So anyway, there's. But I guess I this is that. just the way so, of such a good point. This is yeah. such a way of describe. It's just an easy way of like people think, and I and like I have. We all have friends and family that get annoyed about all this like interpersonal stuff. But what we just described is further proof that it it does exist. This sort of thing it happens in our workplaces. It sure as hell happens in their workplaces. Absolutely. So, well, all, well, all the, with the millions of dollars at stake and. NFL job, only 32 NFL head coaching jobs in the whole world. Of course, friends are going to stick to each, friends are going to stick with friends. 
And yeah. Bell really had no issue selling out Tom when it came down to it. No, he didn't. And he, because he knew that his career was on the line. He, his son's careers were on the line. They work for the Patriots, right? Everything he had built, everything he had done to, you know, screw, screw his, years. he screwed yeah. his relationship with Bill Parcells to become an NFL head coach of the Pats. So he had a lot invested in this. And so when, and so getting back to our main point here, too, not too many tangents, but he sold out his quarterback so that he could protect his own career. And obviously I can't blame him for that. He's looking out for himself. But if you want to look at where the fissure first began, it's definitely then. Do you, or it's definitely that time period, maybe. The 2014-15. Um, but do you blame Bill alone for Tom's departure? Or do you think there were other do you think there were other factors that played throughout those years? So you gotta go, I mean Putting Bill's impact aside, I think one thing that might be a little underlooked is the impact of Alex Guerrero on Tom Brady. You know, I think Tom really started, and justifiably so, really started to feel himself towards the later half of his career. You know, he was still, he was doing things that, at the time, 38 to 9 years old, that were unprecedented for a quarterback that age. I have, I have a really strong opinion that Guerrero really pumped up Tom's ego a lot. And I think... When Bill banned Guerrero from the team facility and team plane, all of that combined really did not help the relationship. And I think Guerrero, you see the, you see the quotes today, that, oh, today, recently that Guerrero made about how Bill's treatment of Tom. So that kind of backs up my point. You see those about how yeah. he never he never treated Tom differently from 20 to, to 30 to 40. And I think, I think actually Guerrero had a point there. I mean... Belichick has shown through this whole dynasty that he's willing to dump anybody at any time. You know, Laura Malloy, Seymour, Jamie Bruce, Collins, I mean, Logan Mankins. On. I can go on all day. Well, okay, the Logan yeah. Mankins is another that happened in that same time period, 2014 yeah. 15. Logan Mankins went traded to Tampa Bay. Just a, you know, obviously a coincidence there, but uh, Brady grew out his beard. In the first few weeks of the season, to protest because Logan Mankins had a beard. I mean, the we, guard at the time. weird mean, stuff went on in that time period that no one really I mean, paid and, attention and Bill, to. You can't do that with a quarterback position. Is what I'm getting at here. I mean, you can get away with dumping a safety or a guard or back, but it finally bit Bill when he when he played that junk with the quarterback position. It's the most important position in professional sports. So I think just all that combined and what we talked about, and I think Alex Guerrero's impact on Tom and the whole Tom realizing that there's way more that he can do the whole TB12 thing, which is becoming more than just being a quarterback. I mean, he's developing he's developing a whole system of fitness and nutrition that he's living he's he's proving and living it right now. So I think I think Tom's seeing more of the big picture of hey, I'm Tom Brady. I don't need this guy to win. You know, he, I think that's, I think his confidence changed. So you think, the, yeah, so you think, career. you think Bill soured him, but also he got easily soured because his confidence and ego had grown. Well, yeah, I mean, Bill didn't do any favors to, for himself. I mean, he, he just handcuffed him, him, Brady and himself every step of the way. And then when you start winning again, like Tom did, like later part of his career, as we've seen, 
and you know his whole method is working, we know how competitive Tom is. If you tell him he can't do it or that he's wrong, he's going to go do it. And then he's going to make sure you know about it. And he's doing it. I mean, it's ridiculous. The whole TB12 method has become, it's become a proven method of success. So I think yeah. that, growth, that growth in confidence didn't, didn't help the cause when you have a coach that's treating you like a rookie still. You know? I mean, yeah. if I'm Tom, and if I'm already, I've made enough money for five lifetimes, I already have a handful of rings. I know. And Tom's hard. He's so humble. He'll, he'll never say it. He knows he's the greatest quarterback of all time even before the Tampa Bay championship, why would he subject himself to that kind of treatment? That's how I look at it, particularly towards the end. Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree with you. Um, But I think like anything, I mean, you have to look at the signs, right? Like the warning signs. I mean, I'm happily married now, but I've had... I've had relationships, I've had friendships in the past, like, I've had friends, like, you know, obviously, just not romantic interests, but just friends, I've had things I wanted to do, I've had places I've worked, or people that I've known, um, not like anybody in particular, if you're listening to this, this is just general, <laughs> but it, you always look at the look, like, obviously the big stuff, like, the big thing is, oh my god, he, dra- he drafted Jimmy Garoppolo and he wanted to trade him a f- few years later, uh, or wanted to trade Brady a few years later so he could play Garoppolo. Like, that's a big thing. Like, that's something everyone sees. You know, obviously, benching Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl. We're going to get to that in a second. But that's a that's a big thing that everyone sees. Or, <laughs> or uh, there you go. Banning, I think you fell out of your chair because I brought up Malcolm Butler. Um, but like, yeah, I did. <laughs> they, uh, they, you know, or banning Guerrero from the from the team facilities for a short period of time, or not letting him fly on the plane. Like all that is big. But I kind of look like I look at the small stuff, and the small stuff is is uh, sort of what gets me a little. Uh, you know, gets me a little um, confused. It's like, why weren't we talking about it at the time? Like, why weren't, you know, why weren't we talking about it? Because, like, one of the things that brings me up, it's like, think about, like, I'll just pull out an example. And, you know, it's taking me a little little while for my thought here. But in 2015, they had a home game against the Eagles. This is right around the time I asked you the Brady-Jordan thing. And they're up 14-0, and against an NFC opponent at home, they really just need to not screw up and they're going to waltz their way to home field advantage. No pun intended. And uh, Belichick brings out Nate Ebner to do a pooch kick in the second quarter. It completely goes wrong. The Philadelphia Eagles get the, you know, get the momentum back and suddenly it's a ball game. And then next thing you know, Brady's throwing some picks because he's not expecting to be back on the field. And then it's over. Like, the game is over and you just pissed away home field advantage and now you end up losing the AFC title game that year at Denver and that's a little thing right like Bill tried to get cute Bill thought he was so smart Bill thought Bill thought why wouldn't you know Tom Brady's already spotted me a 14 point lead why wouldn't I just kick it deep trust my defense and then Tom's gonna be on the field in no time and then we'll then we'll uh then we'll uh end up Right back where we were, maybe a twenty-one to three lead at worst, right? But instead, it was like this hubris of Belichick to do whatever he wanted to do and really not face consequences. And the 
and I guess no greater you know time of this than benching Butler in the Super Bowl, right? Like, oh. can we stop pretending that Johnson Batamosi was going to cover Corey Clement? You know, like, oh. you know, Corey Clement's not that great of a player. You know, so I guess we do I, I, have to get to the. I just don't. Get, I, I don't get that one, and we we're never gonna know. He's yeah. he's never answered to it. No, uh, to I, me that's just inexcusable. I tell my mom. I've told my mom this before. Um, she and I talk a lot about you know the Brady inner workings because she's a very similar interest in this that I do. Um, you know, and she's a BHP. She knows a lot about reading people's. Uh, you know, she knows a lot about reading, uh, you know, kids. So she can sure as hell read adults. And uh, and uh, so she's always thought that it's just weird how we haven't heard anything. And that she thinks, and I think, that someday we'll, we'll know when, like, Belichick, you know, is, like, dead. And Brady is, like, 75 years old. This isn't, like, you know, 30 years or whatever. We'll know because Belichick, maybe the Steve Belichick's, maybe Jonathan Kraft is old at the time and he accidentally slips it out. We'll know eventually, but we won't know soon. I mean, you and I will be grandparents by the time we know what happens with what happened with Malcolm Butler. And I, and there was a story this week about how there was a dust up with Patricia and Steve Belichick and Malcolm Butler, and Butler wasn't given a lot of effort. I don't care. I don't. It's a Super Bowl, man. It's a, if he wasn't given a lot of effort in practice, well, guess what? Johnson, Batamosi was, and Eric Rowe weren't giving you anything in the game. We're talking about practice, not a game, right? Right, AI? The, this is the Super Bowl, man. Yeah. I mean, that's cute in high school football. I mean, that's something I'd pull with my, you know, with my high school basketball team. Listen, when there's millions of dollars and a world championship on the line, I'm sorry. You play the guys that give you a chance to win the game. Yeah. That's your job. Yeah. And the fact that he, and he actually played, he played one snap on special teams. That's just a big middle finger to everybody, I feel like. I, I truly believe that. Yeah. And I just love how Patricia just sits there with his arms crossed like he's buying into the whole thing. I, that gets me so mad just thinking about it still. Well, it's like they, you know, Tom threw for 505 yards in that game and they lost. Yes. And yeah. we still lost. Well, and don't forget the the week before, or I guess two weeks before, really, but the championship game against Jacksonville, he played with a broken, busted hand. And Belichick thought, oh, it's not open heart surgery. It's Let's not act like it's open heart surgery. You know? See, there's a little thing right there, again. See? Like your, like your mantra. And by the way, without Tom, we really shouldn't have won that game. Against Jacksonville, we really had no business. That was another. Well, Gronk was hurt. There was no Edel, There was no Gronk in the second half. No Edelman and Brandon Cooks had a, a huge drop in that game. That if they hadn't have won, everyone would go back and look at that. But it was basically Tom and Andy Mandola had put their team, put the team on their back. And you know, I know Bill paid lip service to Amendola after that game and told everyone that if you looked up tough football player in the dictionary, that it would be Danny Amendola. But let's not forget that he ran Danny Amendola out of town. So. The second he wanted a raise, a, a, a moderate raise, which he deserved for numerous pay cuts he took and numerous clutch playoff performances, we let him walk to Detroit. And for what? Nothing. I actually think it was worse. I actually think it was Miami before it was Detroit. 
Wasn't my, see, a division know. rival. You let him go to a division rival. Yeah, he ended up in Detroit. Uh, but, yeah, it's crazy. It is so dumb how, like, and people think that we're not, we're, and what really drives me nuts is the Patriots fans that are like, oh, well, it's water under bridge. No, it's not water under the bridge. Because if they had handled it differently, you know, we, Tom could still be here winning Super Bowls for us. But instead. You should be. Instead, instead, Sunday night is going to be the last time the Patriots are relevant on the national stage for a couple of years, probably, in my opinion. Um, I agree. And you want to know what? It's really a sin on Belichick, Bob, Robert Kraft, and all the decision makers. When you have a talent like that who's been your franchise, you've got to find a way. And it's not like Tom was asking for these exorbitant things. I mean, they just disrespected and stepped on him every step of the way, as we talked about. The fact that he got away to Tampa Bay, of all places. The most irrelevant franchise in the NFL. A place with very little NFL history besides the Gruden year in 02, right? I mean, really one of the worst franchises historically ever. Oh, I talk about this a lot. I talk about this a lot on the show is you can look around the league, and I don't say this lightly, prior to Brady... They were essentially the Phoenix Coyotes of the of the NFL. They were the they were the Sacramento. The no, the the Buccaneers. Well, that's what the Patriots were before Brady, right? Like well, they, I'm getting that. Yeah. yeah, they were yeah. they were the Sacramento Kings or the Memphis Grizzlies or the you know, they were okay. nothing. They were the you know no disrespect, but they were the Kansas City Royals. Like they had a little bit of history. I mean, even the Royals had more history than the Patriots did, or the Buccaneers did. Yeah. So it's like you look around and that's what both of those teams were before Brady. I mean, Br- Bill. We. I mean, Bill. Bill is the greatest coach of all time, in my opinion, because of his ability to adapt on both sides of the ball. But it sure as hell helps when you have Brady on your on your offense. So, I mean, you look around. What is Bill Belichick without Tom Brady? He is a average coach. You know, people. People were, there was a nugget that came out this year, right, about, uh, actually came out this week. It's, it's even recently this week, feels like a year. But there were, this is getting me all fired up, but they, people were freaking out because this little nugget of the story came out. And I don't know how true this is, but that, you know, Kraft and Brady were thinking about maybe Bill O'Brien succeeding McDaniels as the offensive coordinator at, if when McDaniels went to Indy, and that potentially having... Maybe O'Brien replaced Belichick, and everyone's like, "Why would you want an average coach to replace Bill Belichick?" I'm like, "Cause you would have still had Tom Brady." I'm sorry, but is Bill Belichick a great coach without Tom Brady? As of now, the scoreboard is pretty lopsided. Well, look at his Cleveland tenure. Yeah, he. I, I'm just saying. I mean, obviously, I mean, so let's let's just take a quick dive into Bill's career. Special teams coach in the '70s for the Lions. Tight ends coach. You know, getting his getting his feet wet. Obviously, coached in my opinion the greatest defensive player of all time, Lawrence Taylor, with Coach yeah. Parcells with the Giants. Won two Super Bowls there. So really, I mean, you had to really try to screw that up. Then he got the Cleveland job, underwhelming. Spent one day with the Jets, <laughs> and then got the New England job. It's longer than I'd spend with the Jets. <laughs> I give Bill credit. He he didn't care. He got out of there. He was smart about that. I give him that. But. Yeah. You know, really didn't do much winning. I, think, I believe he's below 500 in Cleveland. Didn't do much winning before Tom. 
And you need here, a quarterback to win. And here's what I said around. in uh, my Wednesday morning show. Here's what I said, and, and and I think this is, I think you'll agree with me here. And I want to. I actually said then that I'd ask you. Can you think of a signature Belichick win where Brady wasn't the QB? Just as Patriots head coach, even if you just say, as a Patriot head coach, what was his signature win without Brady? What was his big comeback or his big primetime win against a better team? So, this is a little recency bias, Will, but the first thing I think about is the Chargers game last year. Because that was a, he won 45 nothing with a quarterback thrown under 100 yards. So that's like a Belichickian win without Tom. But that was, I mean, that was a regular. If your signature win, I'm sorry. No, I that was a great win, but it goes in terms of like playoff implication or. Well, I mean, if but think about it. If your signature win as a coach of a team without your star quarterback, Hall of Fame quarterback, is against a rookie with of an equally irrelevant franchise, like the L.A. Chargers were playing in a soccer field essentially prior to last year with a head coach that was fired, Anthony Lynn. Yeah, and a. Rookie quarterback who's great, but he was a rookie, and yeah, like they. So if that's your signature win, that's scary. I mean, I mean the one back to the castle year. Yeah. Okay. Well, you bring up the castle year. The castle year, they lost. Their five losses were home against Miami. Sound familiar? Uh, Home against the Jets in overtime. And the home the Miami game was the Wildcat game with Ronnie something. I forget his name. Ronnie Brown. Yeah. All right, yeah. and then uh, then you the three big games that year you lost all of them. You lost to the Colts, you lost to the Steelers, and you lost to the Chargers. Those are the three teams yeah. you were competing against in the AFC that year, and you were zero three against them. Again, sound familiar? And then, and then what? You missed the playoffs because you probably because you lost to the Dolphins and the Jets. It's why you missed the playoffs. Inexcusable. You gotta get at least one of those. Right, they would have been twelve and four. So everyone's likes to talk about they. He went eleven and five without Brady. Okay, well they had a team. They had a roster that went sixteen and zero, and then they brought back that entire roster. But they without Brady, they still lost to all the best competition in their conference. So, like, the one I point to, as I was saying before, I went on the tangent about 08, is the twenty sixteen week one with Garoppolo. They went on the road in Sunday Night Football and beat the Cardinals, who had just been in the. Uh, NFC title game the year before, lost to the Panthers. So I look at that and I'm like, sure, that's Tom Br- I mean, that's Bill Belichick's signature win without Brady. But well, really? Remember how they won that game, though? There was yeah, a missed kick. Missed field goal, they should, they, Arizona should have hit. Correct. So. And so that's your signature win. In my, so you, just as your signature win is flawed, mine's flawed too. They lost because someone I missed mean, it. It was pretty fluky. I remember yelling. I was so excited for Jimmy to win. But I'm like, we really should have had no business winning that game. No. no. So that's my point. Is when you And I guess this leads into our discussion about tonight or about Sunday night. Um, if you're listening to this, on, we're recording it on Thursday. It will, air, it will be released on Friday. But... What if he? Ha- what are you drawing from for the Patriots to win this game? Like you can't draw from experience. Like Belichick's drawing up a big game plan with the Patriots to beat somebody without Brady as his quarterback. We just we could think of maybe two games in his entire career. So you can't draw from that intangible. So are you drawing from the X's and O's about how the the 
Buccaneers are better than the Patriots on singularly every level? By a lot. So what are you drawing from, like, how does New England win this game? Well, they don't. And I hate to be that guy, but I've been thinking about this all week, and we just had a really ugly game against New Orleans where, you know, you Mac goes down, Mac has a great drive, and Taysom Hill and Kamara run down your throat four times in a row. Right? I mean, I just... I just don't feel. I just don't see where there's a world where New England can win this game. The only way, Will, I could see is that Mac gets loose with a a weekend Tampa Bay secondary. But look at the play calling for McDaniel's these first three weeks. It's been beyond conservative. I mean, it's been draw, draw, screen, draw, play action, <laughs> complete. I mean, okay. Three throws the bolt in the row in the end zone or in the red zone. Hey guys, try something else. I just I don't think spend... he's attempted a pass into the end zone. I mean red zone to bolt and they try to throw yeah, a couple no, screens. No, I mean like yeah. I don't think he's thrown a ball into the end zone. The play I mean he's I mean McDaniels to me is calling games scared. Like they're trying to just keep Mac in a bubble. And Which is fine if you can, if your defense and running game was good. That's fine. But guess what? James White is out for the year. All right? You have – their defense is kind of old and slow. Can we just say, Will, the defense has been very underwhelming. So oh, they blow. They suck. They haven't done anything right. They haven't done any – the only thing they've All done the – high-paid guys have been pretty much a, a mess. Right Judon now. has done well rushing the quarterback. But let's remember who those quarterbacks were. Tua, Soft. Soft Tua, soft Zach Wilson, and Jameis, who's basically a rookie, right? I mean, and they, and they, they let, they let them, you know, they let them do whatever they wanted. Not the Jets, because the Jets are just, you know, miserably bad. But they let the Dolphins and the Saints do whatever they wanted offensively. They, and so, if you just look at it from that standpoint, you're like, oh my god. And then you think on the offensive side, okay, well, cool. They, let's say they air, they try and air it out. I've heard that one of the weakness of Tampa is their secondary. All right, cool. Let's start going through the let's start going through the depth chart here. Pass catching. All right, number one, Nelson Aguilar. No, sorry. Big miss so far. Big miss so far. Kendrick Bourne. Kendrick Bourne, okay. Jacoby Myers, all right. But you don't, you, sorry, you can't do that. They will eat you alive if that the is. The front seven's going to eat Max lunch with that. Well, the offensive line offensive sucks line. too. The offensive line sucks too. That Every single play, it's like free entry, you know. It's just like the southern border. It's like, come on in. Here we go. I mean, I look, I look, every time I look, Mac's on his ass every single time. Like, yeah, immediately. Yeah, I don't I, I have no idea what they're doing, what they're, what they're doing from the offensive and defensive scheme position. And honestly, I said this the other day on my show, and I forgot. I used to say that, okay, well, the only thing they've done well this year is special teams because I like Nick Folk and I like Jake Bailey. Then I thought for a second, no, they've had two kickoff out-of-bounds both by Jake Bailey. Then they've had a blocked punt. So I'm like, oh, all right. So that's not even... And, well, isn't that the calling card of the Belichick team? You know, not making mistakes and special teams. And we've had a litany of penalties and a litany of special team mistakes. Yeah. So what has gone right? Nothing. Disaster. 
Yeah. Utter, utter, is it worse than last year? I don't I think mean, so. I don't think it's worse than last year because at least you have a track. In my opinion, they have they have a goal of what they want to be. They want to resur- they want to resurrect the old t- old offense with Mac Jones, and that's fine because they have a goal. It's not just a washed up Cam Newton doing his you know throwing grounders to you know Matt Lacoste, right? Like they're not we're not doing that. So I mean I'm kind of fine with like sort of the far plan. But that doesn't mean I want to watch them lose to the Saints at home. Like, look, they, and I said this the other day, they're in huge danger of starting the season 0-4 at home because they're probably going to lose to the Buccaneers. And then they get to play Dallas at home. And Dallas is almost as good of an offense as Tampa. So, Well, real quick, I just want to say, I know in our previous show we had the prediction show. Is it too late to sell my pick on the Giants yet? Because that <laughs> might have been the worst pick of the year by, by Cam, so... Just want to have a quick one on that. Uh, almost like my Colts, right? My Colts and your yeah, Giants. Oh, All right, we'll sell okay. those. We'll sell those. Uh, I'll sell those. No, but but really, if if you can't if you can't draw an X's and O's, right? Like maybe Belichick does the brings back the amoeba defense. Maybe he finds a way to get pressure on Brady from the middle because he can't blitz Brady, or else he'll pick you apart. You have to send pressure with the four down linemen. So let's say they do some stunts and stuff. They get some pressure on Brady. Sure, I mean you can draw on a few things. But you can't draw on the intangibles because Belichick's never had a signature win without Tom Brady. And you can't draw on the X's and O's because the team isn't really that good. And so my question to everyone this week when I get asked about the game is, how are, what did the Patriots do well and how are you arriving at a, at a point in which they win the game? And I can't come up with one. I'm wondering if you I don't, see, I, I don't see a pathway, Will, to where they win. I It would have to be... For the Patriots to win, it'd have to be a lot to go perfect. Maybe some tipped balls that we intercept off Tom. You know, maybe we make a play on special teams and block one of their punts. A defensive touchdown. Head-to-head, you know, just straight up, you're not going to beat that team. And how many points do you think you're going to have to score to beat Tampa? In the 30s at least, right? Yeah, so last year the mark of delineation was Tampa won if they scored 27 or more, I believe. Um, someone could correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Tampa would win if they scored 27 or more. They did lose a game to the Saints where they got blown out 38 to three. But beyond that, uh, if they scored more than 27, they won the game. But <laughs> the Patriots have scored, I believe, 16, 25, and then and then 13. And that 25 was basically a lot of it was off turnovers too. With short fields. Yeah, so it's and they were mostly field goals. I think they had one touchdown that game, in uh in the red zone, a red zone touchdown. And now you don't have James White, so it's like, what are you gonna do offense? Like, how are you just? I guess I guess it just goes back to how are, how is anyone arriving at this game and thinking, yeah, you know what, Tom Brady? I mean, uh, Mac Jones is gonna outduel Tom Brady, and we talk in. And we talk so much about quarterback matchups. Mahomes versus Lamar Jackson or Herbert versus whatever. I mean, we t- Rodgers, Breeze, Rodgers, Brady. We talk a lot about quarterbacks. But now, when we talk about this matchup between Belichick and Brady, these people are actually going against each other. It's going to be a Belichick defense against a Brady. It's not like quarterbacks who don't see each other on the field, right? It's kind of stupid whenever I hear that. I'm like... 
all right, yeah, you can outduel each other with points, but you're never facing each other. But now we have an opportunity to see the two have each other. And one of my last questions here before we wrap up with a big picture thought is this a sort of last micro picture. What advantage does one have over the other? Do you see where either Brady has an advantage or Bill has an advantage? What do you think? Well, Tom's got an advantage in a sense that obviously he knows he knows the field. He knows the facility. He knows everything about it. He's comfortable there. And he knows Bill's tendencies. And also Bill knows Tom's tendencies. So the question is, does one outweigh the other? Kind of hard to say. I mean, they both know each other very well. This old adage I always say in coaching, you can know what I'm going to do. you got to come stop it. You know, and not many people in the history of Tom's career have stopped him. Yeah. You know, so I think the I think any sort of advantages between those two is n- not enough to make a strong difference in my opinion. Yeah, I I'd, I'd sort of echo it and say that it's going to be mostly a wash. Um, you know, whatever one knows about the other will come out in the wash. The one thing where Tom has an advantage though is he's seen the inside of the Tampa operation and he's seen the inside of the uh New England operation, whereas Belichick only knows the new inside of the New England operation. And so for Brady, it's like, like you said, I know he, and he said it himself this week, I know which way the wind's going to go at a certain time. I know the way the lights hit the field and the Patriots are probably going to wear their all stupid blue jerseys, which are going to be supposedly harder to pick up on the field and the, you know, in the dark and stuff. So like Brady has talked a lot about that. Over the He's course right. of his career. Yeah. And so he knows all that stuff. But like he also knows. He can also go over to Todd Bowles and say look. Here's what they're going to try and do with Mac Jones. They're going to try and get you guys. Pre- you, they're like, they're going to try and get you guys to look one way. So you can go the other way. And like here's what they're going to do. They're going to call all these. You know when when Josh calls three plays. Here's the one they're going to. They're probably going to teach Mac to look at first. Like he can sort of give that way too. Um, but I, I think the I think Brady might have a slight advantage simply because he's been in both situations. But obviously, Belichick has the forty years of NFL coaching under his belt. So we'll see. Uh, do you have any other big game thoughts, Brady v. Bill thoughts, before I go into our final question here? Do you have anything you didn't get to say that you feel like you need to say? Well. It's just, this is actually a pretty big game for both teams, I'll just say. You know, Tampa's coming off a tough loss against L.A., and they're trying to avoid going 1-3. and three. So to me, this is a really, I hate to say must-win in Week 4, but, I mean, can you just think about this? Can you imagine if New England pulled this upside off? The, the, how much it would change the trajectory of this season? It would be huge. It would be huge. <laughs> I mean, especially because, like, look, they can, let's say they beat Houston, let's say they beat the Jets in a couple weeks, like, let's say maybe they get lucky against Dallas, and then now you're going into that Halloween game against the Chargers, who you're going to be battling with for a wild card spot, or a playoff spot, most definitely, uh, with a little bit of energy. Um, but I agree, it's, it's a huge turning point, and look, and what do the Buccaneers want to be? Like, we, t- we knew how good the Rams were going to be, you and I both predicted it a month ago, but... How good are the how good are the uh, how good are the Buccaneers really going to be? Are they going to suffer a Super Bowl hangover? So far, their first two weeks they were amazing, and last week they ran into a good team on the road. 
but the Patriots aren't a good team on the road. So yeah, you're right. It does change the trajectory of the season, and it's actually a good segue because it also could change the Patriots' trajectory as a franchise. And hear me out here. I teased this a little bit. This might this I think this is our last primetime game besides Monday night, but this is our last Collinsworth Michaels game all year. Uh, this is really the last this is our chance. I mean, this is our last opportunity to be in the spotlight for the world and the NFL world to see because otherwise otherwise we're just gonna end up being like everyone else. Eventually, the aura of Belichick and Kraft and the Gillette movement will sort of get deflated, no pun intended, you know, if they lose to Brady, then it's sort of like the Patriot aura is sort of, uh, you know, uh, decreased for la- or you know you know you know what I mean. Over to me last year for sure. Yeah, you know? but but like this is our ch- like this is our chance as Patriots fans like primetime Gillette Super Bowl champs coming to town. Whether I mean forget the Brady thing if you can, but like we don't have we don't have that opportunity unless something turns around because the league the AFC at large like we talked about is so strong. Um, for future, they have, there's good quarterbacks all over the place. Herbert, Jackson, Mahomes. Uh, you know, you, you look around and you're like, is this sort of like the last stand of the Patriots dynasty to really say, not that they're going to continue the dynasty, but just to say, like, this is our last party that we're going to host where the dynasty is still a relevant topic. A game, well, there's no way, I think it's the biggest regular season game. Because usually the Patriots in the previous years with Tom were playing for January, you know. But this year, this week four game, this might be the biggest game we play all year. Oh, yeah. I mean, no question this is going to be the most watched regular season sporting event in the history of the NFL. And it's probably, other than the Super Bowl, going to be the most watched NFL game of 2021. I think it might even out... See, I wish the Patriots were just slightly better, even if they were two and one, and they were both two and one. But the Patriots being one and two sort of sucks air out of it a little more. Uh, but this, I think, is going to be the most watched NFL game beyond the Super Bowl of the entire year. I think it has to be of twenty twenty one. Obviously, the Super Bowl will be twenty twenty two, but I I think it's going to be the it's the easily the most hyped. It's going to be the biggest game ever played at Gillette Stadium. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's going to be the most important to a lot of people and to a lot of yeah. fans. And like I said, if they find a way to win this game, it just changes every attitude, thought, and complaint dynamic about New England and and their and their and their direction. Because you figure if they win, Mac has to have a great game, right? So like if you can imagine that Mac beats Brady in his house, that would just be I can't put words to it, that'd be incredible. For yeah. Mac's confidence too. And you know, for the prospects of this team going forward, and you know, that's that's clear. Um and, and where I kinda wanna end it here is uh, you know, we talk about Brady being back at Gillette. This will definitely be the last time he plays at this stadium. Uh, just because being in a different conference and him being old and they won't meet again for four years and when they meet again we'll be in Tampa so I mean unless Tom Brady plays till age 53 he ain't coming back to Gillette again and probably by then Gillette will be gone and it will be a new stadium maybe who knows that's that's eight years from now um but uh 
But I kind of want to end it. And forgive me if I've asked you this before. Tom Brady's best game at Gillette, your bet or your best Tom Brady memory from a home game at Gillette. What do you think that is? Man, it's hard to pick one, Will. <laughs> I I really there's so many memories with Tom. I didn't prep you for this one. <laughs> no, and I, I just I feel like I'm dropping the ball. I really I, I really can't pick one. So mine, I, really, I have I really two. Can't. It's just, I, I, would, I would do an injustice to myself. I yeah, think. I have two, and one of them sort of like not even really. I'm just saying it because it was it was really, I I saw him in this game personally. I was there. Um, but number one for me is like really no question. It's really a toss-up. Now I'm going on three. But let me just say one. In my opinion, it's the Jacksonville AFC Championship game number one. No questions asked. Uh, that comeback down 14 or 10 or whatever it was in the fourth quarter. With, it was 10 in the fourth quarter. Yeah, 10 in the fourth quarter with an average you know, roster and you let Blake Bortles and that defense hang around. And then to win that game and the way it ended and with all the drama that had happened that year, right, 2017, I just really wish they had won the Super Bowl that year. Uh, oh. so, so that that's one. I also, obviously, the double pass game with Amendola and Edelman Baltimore. against Baltimore. Yeah. Uh, they they were, yeah, they, they were down 14 twice yeah. in that game, and they erased both of those deficits. And I think Brady threw the best ball of his career uh, to Brandon LaFell in that game uh, to take the lead or maybe to tie it. I can't remember. I think it was to take the lead. So, yeah, so that, that that's obviously one and two. Um, I mean, in the regular season, there was the 24 nothing comeback against Manning and Denver. That was like, I was 16 years old. I was ecstatic. You know, the Red Sox had just won the World Series a couple weeks earlier. It was Thanksgiving break. I was on cloud nine, right? So that was, that was another one. But, I mean, and then I went to the game when they beat Tebow's Broncos 45-10. to 10. I was at that game in 2012. Uh, January 2012. Uh, that was a fun game too. But I mean, Brady built that place. Like, obviously, a construction company literally built it, but Brady built that place. Like, he was He's Gillette Stadium. He was the franchise. And let's just hope he isn't the franchise like forever. Like, I hope that the Patriots get good again post Brady, but I don't know. We'll see. It seems pretty Ruthian to me. There's one Tom Brady. Right, right. <laughs> There's one Tom Brady. Hey, man. Do you have any other closing thoughts before we wrap up here? It's been a great time having you on the show. Well, um, I just want to throw this out there. I got a... I'm going to make a game pick. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I'll do it, too. I'll I'm do gonna, it, too. I'm not going to make any any uh, fans of my New England friends here, but I got Tampa Bay 42, New England 10. That's, that's what I'm going with. That's what I think. I think Tom's ready. I just feel like I can't it'd be hard hard pressed to go anywhere different than that. That's where I'm going. <laughs> I think uh, I think it's going to be 38-16. Um, I think the Pats are about two touchdowns behind the whole game. I think Brady. We didn't even talk about this, but I think Brady breaks Drew Brees' record in the first quarter. Uh, but I think. I can't believe we didn't talk about that, but but you there's nothing really to talk about. He's gonna break the record, right? And then 
Uh, throwing to Gronk, right? Yeah, throwing to Gronk, right? We didn't even talk about Gronk and all that drama about how they tried to even trade Gronk too, right? Um, and they forced Gronk out of town. But, yeah, I, I think they're going to be about two touchdowns ahead. I think it's 31-16, but then I think in garbage time um, they, pour it on, they pour it on a little bit more and they get a maybe a defensive short field or something and then score again, and it's 38-16. That's what I'm thinking. There will be no mercy in this game. Yeah. I'm telling you. They're yeah, Tom's you, coming blood. Are they are they shaking hands after the game? Because they've been well behaved all week. Are they shaking hands after the game. I think they are. I say no. All right. If, if Bill get if Bill gets his butt kicked, no. Interesting. So. All right. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I like that. We'll revisit this take. I think they're going to do it now, either way. If the Patriots win, I think Bill will shake hands. Yeah. Okay. Will Tom Brady run away though? He's been known to do that too. We'll find out, I guess. You mad, bro? We'll find out. <laughs> We're gonna find out, right? We're gonna find out. All right, guys, that was Cam Kiesa joining us on Home Field Advantage. Thanks, Cam, for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Will. Had a good time. And there it was, my sit down with Cam Kiesa. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you had some fun. I hope you got a chance to reminisce and enjoy uh, what really was a great. Uh, hour-long discussion with Cam, or a little bit longer, uh, and I hope you had I hope you had a chance to also um, think about what what you think the game on Sunday will look like, and um, we'll have plenty more coverage here. As I said, we have the Home Field Advantage podcast, which you're listening to. We have the Morning Advantage every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and we obviously will do our Facebook Live show on Sunday night. But until then, I hope you have a great weekend. I hope you enjoy the fall weather and the chance to be outside and enjoy the season and I hope you have a safe travels if you're going anywhere this weekend as well um, so that we can all enjoy the game safely on Sunday night there will be a lot to talk about on next week's podcast and on Monday's edition of the Morning Advantage but until next time my name is Will Highland this is Home Field If you liked this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite provider, including Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. And if you want to make Home Field Advantage part of your weekly routine, check out our sister program, The Morning Advantage, with new episodes on Instagram TV every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Home Field Advantage and The Morning Advantage are presented by Sportland USA, and the opinions shared with them do not reflect those of any other company, outlet, person, or entity.